Good morning. It's a privilege to be with you again. It's kind of a heavy thinking about the uh, persecution that goes on around the globe. And heavy just to think through the freedom that we have here in this country at this time. It's heavy just thinking through, you know, I have coworkers, friends, neighbors, family who don't know the Savior. And what's stopping me from reaching out to them? What's stopping me from sharing the gospel? Somebody might put a gun to my head. You know, we don't have that. You know, what's really stopping us? Hmm, it's just some really good things to think about. And I appreciate the emphasis that you've had this morning. We are going to be looking at the righteous judgment of God. And when I put that title together, I wasn't meaning to be deceptive or anything. This sermon is about justice. And so when I said the righteous judgment of God, I'm speaking of the justice of God. God's judgment is righteous. But I'm not speaking about a specific judgment of God, a specific cataclysmic destruction. We are going to look at justice this morning in Isaiah 59. Uh, a, week, or a month and a half ago, I went to a conference on social justice, and I presented a paper on social justice in the kingdom of God. Um, it was a good time. We had a great discussion. There was some disagreement, but we had a great time. Actually, I'm making that paper available to you. I do have a web page. You can go to timothylittle.net and download that if you're interested in it. It does coincide with the message this morning. The topic that we're going to interact with is social justice. And I'm going to try to stay away from all of the big thorny issues associated with social justice. We're going to look at God's word and what God's word has to say about justice. And then you're going to have to make some of those inferences yourselves on how to apply that to our current culture and political landscape. But I believe that God's word has much to say about justice and we don't talk about it, so we're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about it from an eschatological end times perspective. A lot of people think of Daniel as being like the revelation of the Old Testament. I like to think of Isaiah as being the revelation of the Old Testament. There's so much end times material in the book of Isaiah. And what do we see in Isaiah 59? We see the judicial system of the end times. That's what we see in Isaiah 59. So if you would follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read, we're going to read through the entire chapter, Isaiah 59. This is the judicial system of the end times, and this is the judicial system which the Lord overthrows. Isaiah 59, starting in verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch adders, eggs, and they weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies. And from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. 
Their works are works of iniquity, and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know. And there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. I'm in verse 9. Therefore, justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold, darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight among those in full vigor. We are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. I'm in verse 16. He saw that there was no man and wondered that that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation for him, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so he will repay." Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands he will render repayment so that they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives. And a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. Verse 21, and as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word that it is a guide before us. Help us to walk in it. You are the God of justice. Help us to stand for your justice. Give us wisdom and discernment to determine what that justice is. In Jesus' name, amen. Justice is a term that's thrown around in our culture like candy. It's everywhere. Who wouldn't want to be a proponent of justice? In fact, I can say that I'm a proponent of social justice as I define it. And that's one of the issues with our culture. You can take whatever word you want, define it any way you want, and then you can say that you're a proponent of it. 
social justice means a lot of different things to many different people. Well, let's see what God's word has to say about justice. Our big idea that we're going to be working through is that God's justice will be established in the earth. Some say that it's our responsibility to bring that justice to the earth now. However, if you study the book of Ecclesiastes, the wisest man who ever lived, he sought to eliminate oppression from this world, and guess what he found out? It's impossible. We live in a fallen, broken world, and without a messianic king who can see the heart and judges not according to the sight of the eyes, but according to the intents of the heart, you cannot have justice. There will always be oppression in this world. We cannot eliminate injustice completely. So how do we live in a sin-cursed world? That would be one question we could explore. What is this justice that God will establish in the earth? That's another thing that we will explore. But the main thing that I want to start off with first here is, well, these four steps that we're going to have to establish God's justice is God defines justice. Okay, so what is justice? There is confusion in our culture, and that confusion is permeating even the church because we want to be proponents of justice. We just read, I mean, how many times does the word justice appear in Isaiah 59? Five times. Justice and the lack of justice is something that God clearly hates. So the church of all places should be a proponent of justice. But we have to make sure that we mean the same thing as the world. Sounds a little wrong. <laughs> okay, maybe the world means something different by the term justice than what, what we as believers should think of justice. So we're going to actually cruise around a little bit in the scriptures, and I want you to think through justice. For the most part, you're going to be in Isaiah 59, and uh, we're going to go to one other passage, but let's look at this definition of justice. First, the word justice is really a judgment, and biblically, you can have two different kinds of judgments. You can have a good one and a bad one. I know, it's really complex. Good judgments are according to righteousness. Perverse judgments are according to in unrighteousness, perversion, evil. As a believer, we need to stand for righteousness judgments. The righteous judgment of the Lord. The Lord's justice, the Lord's just uh, righteous judgment is what will be established in the earth. So a lot of people make a big deal about, man, what is justice? We got to define justice correctly. You know what we need to study? It's not justice, it's righteousness. And as we work through this text today, I pray that you, that your mind would just be renewed and that you would have a desire to, to be in God's word and to be governed and live according to God's word, that, that uh, you might be transformed by the, by, the, by the spirit of God as he works through the word of God, okay? We need that. The church is so biblically illiterate and anemic that we can't figure out what justice is because we don't ever read the Bible. You don't think this is a problem. I work at a religious school, Faith Baptist Bible College. We have students that come in and some of the classes, you know, the, I feel bad for some of our profs. I teach in the seminary, so I get the smart ones. <laughs> 
But, you know, the, the, those freshman level classes, you have some students that come in there and they've been grounded in the word, okay? They've gone to a church that's preached the truth, that's taught the truth, and they know a lot. And then, you know, some people, it's just like, wow, you know, what, what's been going on the first 18 years of your life? And I want to just challenge the young people. If you can read, you can have your devotions. When my sons begin to read, oh, I say my sons because my daughter's too little, she doesn't know how to read yet, but anyway, when my children, when my children begin to know how to read, I want them reading God's word on a regular basis. If they don't read God's word, then they don't know who God is. They don't know what God wants them to do. And so what we're going to do here is we're going to plow through a little bit of scripture because I want to show you what God has to say about righteousness and what God then has to say about justice. So let's go uh, and take a look a little bit. First, I want to establish again that this idea of righteous judgment is throughout the Old Testament. When David administered judgment and righteousness to all his people, he is administering justice. When Solomon becomes king and he was the one that was executing judgment and righteousness in the kingdom, he was executing justice. It's a judgment that's according to God's righteousness. And that's one of the things that we learn about with righteousness is that God defines righteousness. And I want you to turn in your Bibles quickly to Psalm 15. This is our one time we're going to step away from our text. Psalm 15, I want to read this to you. Now, I cannot take, I mean, I could take, you, you could have a whole sermon series defining what righteousness is, and we aren't going to do that. I want to read this one text to you to help get you thinking through your own life and determining, okay, I need to examine my own life. I need to live according to righteousness. And so I've, I've uh, cherry-picked a passage here that I think applies to the social justice movement as well. Psalm 15, a psalm of David. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? What is this psalm about? This psalm is about the people who get close to God. Now, is God going to let wicked people get close to him? No, all right? It's the righteous people that get close to God. So by studying the psalm, guess what we get to learn a little bit about? righteousness. Let's read on. Verse 2, he who walks blamelessly and does, does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. All right, now as we work through Psalm, or Isaiah 59 in a little moment, you need to take note of all the words for lie, lying, all right? God hates deceit. He hates lies. We live in a culture that twists the truth like you wouldn't believe. You need to be a person of integrity that does not lie, but doesn't just not lie. Look at what the text says. Speaks truth in his heart. This is just an outflowing of who you really are. This is what righteousness is. This is what God demands. And if you get nothing else from the rest of this day, get this principle that God wants you to be an honest individual from your very core of your being. Because if you are, guess what? This whole social justice movement and everything, well, not everything, a lot of what's associated with it, okay? Because it's built upon deceit. And I can't prove that to you today. You're going to have to do the homework yourself. But um, let's keep going. 
I'm in Psalm 15, verse 3. Who does not slander with his tongue? Whoa, no, that doesn't ever happen in our culture. And does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. Verse 4, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. We don't have time to unpack this. Who swears to his own hurt and does not change. I love that. Look at the honesty. You said you're going to do something. Circumstances change, and it's going to stink. But you know what you did? You swore. You said, I'm going to do this. So what do you do? You do it anyway, even though it's going to hurt you. God's standard of righteousness. Verse 5, who does not put out his money at interest? That was a requirement of the Jewish people. They were not supposed to lend money at interest to, the, uh, to a Jewish person, and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Okay, so the purpose of going through Psalm 15 was to give you a little bit of a glimpse of what righteousness is. By learning what righteousness is, we learn what justice is. And I have a list of a few things here that I think apply to our current climate, our current culture. Let's continue. God's justice. I'm going to look at one more slide. Defining justice. That's what we're doing here. Exodus 23, 1 through 3. You shall not spread a false report. Again, I I recognize that I'm cherry picking a little bit here, but this is something I see a lot, okay? I would caution you to be careful. What do you share on Facebook? what you retweet on Twitter, okay? If it is a false report, I would strongly advise, or uh, (laughs) the word of God has something to say about that, and it's wrong. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many. I want to put emphasis on the many there because what do we have in our culture? A lot of people are doing something. And what is it? Evil. You don't join them. Nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many as to pervert justice. Nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. That final one is particularly fascinating in our culture because our current justice system, oh well, I shouldn't say the justice system, some judges will simply uh, favor a poor person, not because he's right, but simply because he's poor. God's word has something to say about it. There should be equality, equity, between the rich and the poor. There should be compassion, and that comes to our next slide. This is a confusion within our churches, uh, within our culture. They confuse mercy with justice. Justice concerns the legal system. You are guilty or you're not guilty. Mercy concerns having compassion on somebody, forgiving them. We need to be careful with our terminology as Christians. Justice is justice. Mercy is mercy. Okay, we have to press on. We haven't even gotten to Isaiah 59. Go to Isaiah 59. We're going to go through this. What do we have for our second point, which is really the first point from Isaiah 59? And I'm sorry, I felt that I just needed to define justice because there's so much confusion about it. I would strongly recommend that you study the righteousness of God, righteousness in general, to then learn more about what justice, biblical justice, is. Look at what we have in Isaiah 59. We see God doing something, or kind of doing nothing. He's removing himself from a mess. 
Look at what we have in Isaiah 59 and verse 2. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. God separates himself from the injustice. And in Isaiah 59, 2 through 9, I'm sorry, 2 through 8, we have a description of injustice. And I want to lay this out to you because this injustice there's like correlations between, with our current culture. Now, I want to be really careful here. This is an eschatological text, okay? We are not fulfilling this right now. In fact, we're able to meet here freely and talk about these things. So that is a privilege that we should not um, make, take lightly, okay? But, but uh, there's like a trajectory here, and there's something that we can learn from it. So let's do that. What do we have? We have iniquities, and we have sins. These are separating us from God. Look at verse 3. Your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity. Look at how general the sins are. He's not being very descriptive. We do have this murder idea with defiled with blood, but it's wickedness, iniquity, lies, sins, Okay, these are these, this wickedness that's going on within this um, uh, setting. And I would contend that this is the end times setting. And specifically, it's end times Israel. End times Israel. Verse 4, no one enters suit justly. The word there is actually righteously. Rightly. No one goes to law, and that's the word for justice, no one performs justice honestly. Okay, so what's going on in Isaiah 59 and verse 4? You have a corrupt legal system. Not necessarily corrupt, but the people bringing cases before the legal system are wrong. <laughs> They're lying. They're deceiving Oh, that never happens in our culture. No, not at all. I mean, goodness, you can go and lie to a judge. We have people lying before Congress. It's ridiculous. There, there has to be truth within a culture for a culture to have any semblance of administering justice. What do you have here? You have a lack of honesty, a lack of truth. He explains further in verse 4 what he means by this injustice in the legal system. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. Look at the two verbs that are used there. Conception, that's the beginning of it. And then what do they, what do they hatch? What do they give birth to? They give birth to their sin. This is the legal system of the end days. People are just concerned about themselves. And so they, they produce some kind of litigation against somebody else and they prevail and then what do they get as a result of prevailing? Look at the next verse. They hatch adder's eggs and weave spider's webs. What in the world is up with the snake eggs? What's going on with these crazy spider webs? You know, this is why I love Isaiah because, man, he just writes in such a way that packs a punch, all right? What do, what do eggs do? They are a source of provision. You know, I, I like eggs. We, I have eggs a few days a week in the morning, okay? And I think they're healthy but I, I, don't have, I don't have snake eggs. I don't eat those kind, okay? And I, I don't know if it would kill me or if it's a specific kind. I don't know. Anyway, whatever. The, these snake eggs, you know, it's like, oh, there's an egg. It's going to be provision for me. You go to the justice system. You have your court case. You win. 
You get your money. I'm provided for. What's up with the spider webs? I see you all nicely dressed today, but nobody has any spider webs on. Why doesn't anybody have any spider webs on? We don't wear spider webs. Well, of course we don't wear spider webs. Well, why do we wear clothes? Clothes are a source of protection. They protect you. I, I kind of set you up there a little bit, okay? It says in verse six, look at verse six. It says, their webs will not serve as clothing. All right, so they're not wearing spider webs. I mean, the, the, they're after provision and they're after protection from the legal system. They think they might get it, but guess what? It doesn't give them, it doesn't give them provision. It doesn't give them protection. My goodness, I could, I could apply this to like a gazillion different instances and you need to have the discernment to recognize you know, and as you live, especially I'm speaking to the young people, as you live, you'll see this. You'll see somebody get $20,000 in some kind of a fake lawsuit or whatever. And then watch what happens with that money. I've seen it. And some of the older people have too. Kaboom, it's gone. All right? They just blow it. Furthermore, the justice system, when it's corrupt, you know, it's going to corrupt and it'll bite you back. What do you have with the, sni- with the snake eggs? You know, if you eat them, you die. That's what it says in verse 5. They hatch adder's eggs and they weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies. So don't eat the egg. And it's like, oh man, I've got a really bad egg here. It's a snake. I'm going to stomp it. Bam. And then a snake comes out and it's going to bite you. It's just like impossible to win. Justice. Justice. I think there's amazing correspondences that we can learn from a um, a corrupt judicial system uh, from this passage. Okay, so we have the clothing. I'm going to uh, move into verse 6. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity. That's a key phrase that's repeated at the end of verse 7. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Everything about these people is iniquity. Everything. It's completely perverse. It's a completely messed up system. Look at verse 8. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. We have this highways at the end of verse 7. You have the paths in verse 8. You have the roads that are crooked in verse 8. And you have the treading upon these paths at the end of verse 8. Okay? They're creating a a path, a highway. This way that you walk in our justice system. Our society is doing this, okay? They're creating this way that you walk, and guess what? It's going to lead to violence. It's going to lead to a lack of peace. And that's why you have the words violence. That's how you have the words peace in this passage. And so what does God do? He separates from it. It's like, you think you know what justice is? Good luck. Go ahead. Have fun with that. Have fun with that and God lets them reap what they sow. Okay, so the first thing that we see is that God separates from injustice, and I think that we have a principle there that we need to remember as well. We need to separate from injustice, and this is something that takes some balance. If you can win your (laughs) judicial system over, I guess, go for it, but there comes a point, then what do you do? You just you just separate it from it. And I would contend there are many organizations that promote social justice in our culture, which what the Christian correct course of action would be, just like what God does here. You just let it go. The Christian needs to be busy about the work of the ministry, work of evangelism, work of discipleship, and 
I would encourage you to, to, to do like what God does here and focus on the work of the ministry. There's a whole lot more that could be said on there. You have two very good pastors that can help guide you through some of the details there, um, but we need to move on. Okay, number two, or number three, God lets the wicked search. And I think this is an amazing correspondence to what our culture is currently doing. Look at verse nine. Therefore, justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. We do have a change to the first person pronoun there. Here, Isaiah is speaking along with the wicked people, just like we would do, okay? In America, uh, well, we still have a fair amount of justice. And in the broader world, you know, they have a lot of injustice. But even within our culture, there is a significant portion of injustice. And what would we say? God, forgive us. We're sinners. And our culture and our, our state is turning its back upon you. So does Isaiah write in the same way in Isaiah 59, verse 9. Therefore, justice is far from us. Righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness, for brightness, but we walk in gloom. These verses are referred to in Isaiah 60 and verse 3. In Isaiah 60, verse 3, and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Okay, this is the messianic coming. And the remnant, what do they do? They look forward to the coming of the, of the Savior, the coming of the Messiah, by which they would then be um, liberated of, from the injustice. But what is it? They're looking for this light, but it's, they get darkness. They're searching for this this brightness, but there's gloom. And then he uses the analogy in verse 10 of the blind person. It's like, man, where's the wall? I can't see. And that's like what it, it is for them as they wander through the darkness at the end of, end of days. We grope like those who have no, no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. And I love verse 11. We growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. When you see some injustice in the culture, you're like, man, that's wrong. And what do you do? You growl like a bear. And then what do you do? You look at the victim. And what do you do? You moan like a dove. And it's like, this is wrong. And our culture is filled with bears and doves. But they're looking in the wrong place. They're not going to find justice without the Lord. I have to press on. Verse 14, there's a lot of interesting things here, but we have to keep going. Verse 14, justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public squares. And you are familiar with the conversation of truth. I've talked to you about the lies in this text. Here we have truth, and it's just not present in the public squares. Uprightness cannot enter. In verse 15, truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. I need to take a moment to talk about this. He who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The word there is to be spoiled. Okay, like you've conquered somebody and you take all their stuff. In the end days, if you stand for righteousness, if you stand for biblical justice, what's going to happen to you? You're going to lose all of your stuff. You will be persecuted. We in America, I don't know about you, but, you know, we, we've got, we got it pretty good. And as you reflect upon the persecuted church around the world, guess what? They get to experience on a regular basis. This. They have the threat of being spoiled. 
And if that threat came to you, would you stand for justice? Would you stand for righteousness? Would you stand for truth? I only pray to God that I do. I've never been tested in that way. I pray I never am. But I pray that if I am, that I would stand for that truth. God lets the wicked search. They search and search for this justice, but they cannot find it. And then finally we see in, in verses 15b and 22 that God sends a deliverer. God sends the deliverer. The Lord saw it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered. That word there is like marveled. Okay, that there was no one to intercede. And historically, this is how God seems to have worked. When injustice reaches like a, a, uh, a when injustice reaches a, a new level, when injustice reaches a certain level, guess what God often does? He brings in an interceder. Often in the form of a king or another nation. And then that king, that nation, is God's instrument of righteousness, of establishing justice in the earth. But in the end of days, the entire world being ruled by the Antichrist through a series of puppet kingdoms as well, that is impossible. So what does God do? He sends his own arm. I just want to point back to Isaiah 59 and verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Hey, look at verse 16. Look at what happens. It's the Lord's arm that brings salvation. God can save. He can do it. And he will. And he will. He will establish his righteousness in the earth. Then there will be true justice throughout the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the Messiah. In verse 17, we have the Messiah described through these terms that we've been discussing. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Doesn't that sound familiar? A helmet of salvation. I think that's in the New Testament someplace. Maybe Ephesians chapter 6. All right, Paul just kind of was building off of this analogy in Isaiah 59. But the one I want to focus on is actually he put on garments of vengeance for clothing. This idea of vengeance becomes a theme in Isaiah 60, 59, 61, and 63. And I don't have the time to walk you through these passages. But when the Lord Jesus puts on his garments of vengeance for clothing, he's going to battle. He's going to war. He's going to establish his justice in the earth. Now, what is clothing? We saw clothing earlier. The clothing was spider webs. What is the function of clothing? Clothing is a source of protection, but not for the Messiah. For the Messiah, his garments are garments of vengeance. And when he comes back to set up his kingdom, there will be no one to stop him. Isaiah 59, I believe it shows the judicial system, is a description of the judicial system at the end of days. Believer, do you stand for biblical justice? I pray that you do. Biblical justice is righteousness. Are you righteous? Are you reading God's word on a regular basis, having your mind renewed, Romans 12, 2, 
having your mind renewed so then you can ward off the conformity of this world. And a major source of conformity within this world is this perversion of justice. I just want to speak to the young people right now. This, this deception is a deception. You can go to a social justice website and it says really good things, okay? And it sounds like something we as Christians should get on board with. It's a lie. Look at Isaiah 59, 2 through 8. That's what's going on. And if you want to ward off the lies of our culture, what do you need to do? You need to get into this book and you need to learn what God's justice is. You need to learn what His righteousness is. Do it tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Have your devotions. Draw close to the Lord. May the Spirit of God work through His Word to conform you into the likeness of His Son. Lord, thank you for this time that we are able to look at Isaiah 59 in justice. Give us wisdom and discernment, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.